Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you together, to meditate, Father, on all of those wonderful traits of yours that reach in and touch our lives. Father, we pray that you would be with us now. I pray that you would help me as I, in my small way, Father, try to touch on this topic. And I pray, Father God, you would help me as I speak, those who listen. And we want to bring honor and glory to you in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's great being with you today. I have loved Alex's work on this entire series. I have a feeling that I am going to lower the level of proficiency and, and poetry that Alex has brought to the series. But he did ask me to talk about why the Bible is important. Now, I was starting to go through all kinds of theological ideas and all that sort of thing, but that's like when scientists try to tell us, explain to us why we fall in love. It just wasn't working for me. So my title is Why I Love the Bible. And I, I love this book. I've, loved, I've fallen in love with this book from almost the moment that I truly met Jesus, or he chased me down. Now, my love for this book wasn't always appreciated. Once I gave my heart to the Lord, I would read my Bible at night in my bedroom, which I shared with my brother. And so he would be asleep, and I'd be up till 12 or 1, just reading and reading and reading, and, and he would wake up with the light on, be so upset that I was keeping him awake. The first time I ever heard my brother curse was because of my Bible reading. <laughs> but within a few months of that time, I had the amazing, incredible pleasure of preaching the sermon at which my brother gave his heart to the Lord. So I love the message of this book. And I love this book. So a little review first. Uh, Alex has followed a, a pattern. What is the Bible? How should we use it? And why should we care? And last week, he talked about who wrote the Bible and talked about God being sort of the ghostwriter of the Bible and God's input into that. So certainly, God as its author is a reason why we should care. And I just want to tell you some of the things, just a few of the things that I love about the Bible. But before that, I want you to answer a question. What is this? That's a duck-billed platypus, right? This is one of God's great jokes. When I taught biology to seventh grade students, this was the, there were all the categories and the phylums and all this classification, and then there was the addendum of there's some stuff that just doesn't fit. Because God doesn't won't fit in a box, and as much as we love this book, God won't even fit in a book. This is something that has a face like a bird, a body like a mammal, but it lays eggs. It's one of God's great jokes. Before we move on, just take a few moments to do an exercise. Describe to the person next to you, or if you're an introvert like me and you refuse to get up, describe to yourself this animal as if you're describing it to someone who never saw it before. 
So in your mind, or you know, you can talk to one another. Describe this animal to someone who had never seen it before. joy 
we heard two sounds. The first one was something like this. And the next one was as his body hit the ground. And we all celebrated that moment when Uncle Rich went down. Because he didn't have the light that he needed just to make the right decisions of avoiding the stuff in the middle of the path. But then we go to the next phrase here. A lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And when I studied that word light, I found out that that word, the Hebrew word or, means sunlight, daylight, dawn, morning light, sun. It's when everything's lit up. And that's one of the things I love the best about the scripture, is when I started really reading and studying the scripture, it gave me a big view, a worldview that helped me to understand life. Life finally made sense when I had this worldview that came from the scripture. Why do all these bad things happen? Well, because we live in a world that's infected and infested with sin. Now it made sense. And so that worldview that it provided is one of the wonderfully comforting things that the scripture has done for me. Next, we want to look at that idea of the sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than. So it's not really saying the word of God is a sword in this verse. It's better than, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. I want to park there a little bit. It's alive. The Word of God is alive. There are many, many great books, and some of us love them. I own so many books that I have a storage compartment still that is full of books, and we moved in down here in October. Now, when it says the Scripture is alive, it's not like you lay your, your Bible on the, the table there in, in your living room, and while you're eating dinner, it comes wandering up to you. Hello, time to read. It's not that kind of alive. But it is alive. There is life in this book. When Alex talked last week, he talked about the, the theological term inspired, that scripture is God-breathed. Well, do you remember how mankind was formed? God formed us, and then he breathed breath into Adam, and it said that Adam became a living soul. And for all of our lives, we are searching for truth. We are searching for some great foundation. We are searching for some life source. And that life source is a little bit more of what it was that started us all. The breath of God. And we find in scripture this living book. It is alive and it is active. The word active in Greek is energes, which looks like our English word energy, right? It comes from two words, and, which means in, on, at, by, or with, and ergon, which means work or action. And in science, the word erg is a measurement of work that is accomplished. The scripture is not only alive, it's the only book that is alive, but it's a book that is active. As you interact with the scripture, it is 
going to be at work in your life. It's going to do stuff. And it is compared here that it is sharper than a two-edged sword. Now what the author in Hebrews is referring to is the Roman gladius. It is sharpened on both ends, very sharp at the point. It was particularly a piercing weapon, not a slashing weapon, but a piercing weapon. They hang behind these large shields and the sword would just go and they'd do this to try to pierce with that. Now, I've heard people say that in this verse when it says two-edged, it's pointing in the front and pointing in the back. So if you use it, you got to use it against yourself too. That's not what it means. It just means that it has two sides. There are plenty of other verses that tell us to be careful how we try to use correction against other people. This is not one of them. And he said, it's not just like this, which was the apex weapon of the time. It's sharper than this. It's got surgical sharpness to the point where it divides the soul and spirit, and then if you interpret the verse correctly, as if separating joints and marrow. Now the joint is the knobbiest, most difficult, hardest part of the bone, and the marrow is the soft stuff on the inside. This is how much this weapon is able to pierce, to get through. Now, some of what I like about the Bible not always at first, is the way that it pierces me. When I was in my 30s, I was preparing for a Bible study that I was giving, and before I was getting into the, the scripture, I was praying to God and just letting him know some of the things that if he could just adjust in my wife's life, that he and I and all the kingdom of God would be so much better if he could make these adjustments. Just sort of reminding him. And the lesson that I was going to be teaching as God's great man of power and truth, I knew that once again people would tell me what a wonderful job I had done that night. That, that verse said, if you don't treat your wife right, your prayers won't be answered. I kind of got that first jab. But I figured, as most people do, well, that's certainly not what God means. So let's study this deeper, Lord. And as I studied deeper, I realized it was exactly what he meant. And then I spent some time meditating on it, which was basically like saying, go ahead, poke away. And through my interaction with the scripture, uh, the impression that the Lord gave me was, don't you understand that this is my daughter? And the way that you treat her has everything to do with the way I hear your prayers. And that was the final pierce. But it changed my life. Changed yours as well. <laughs> but it is also good defensively. You remember when Jesus was 
tempted. We read about in Luke chapter 4. And he uses this. He could have said, I'm Jesus, creator of the universe. But he didn't use his name or his title or his reputation or his history. He used the word of God to defend himself. And there was another time when I was in my later 30s. And I was working long hours. And for some reason, my heart wasn't quite acting right. And I had to go and wear a heart monitor and see a heart specialist. And he was going to tell me what was going on. And when I went to him, he said, all of the trouble seems to be between these hours. What are you doing then? I'm pastoring. <laughs> well, there's your trouble. And from then, the enemy started saying things to me. You're going to have a heart attack by the time you're 40. You're working for God in this. He seemed to care for you. He's going to let you get, have a heart attack by the time you're 40. Think about your relatives. All of your male relatives had heart attacks by the time they were 40. And look at what you're doing. And your God doesn't even seem to care. And for a while, I was just embracing that as if it was my own thoughts. But as I interacted with the scripture, I was encouraged to fight back against that. But I was also not just encouraged to fight back, but instructed. There's this thing called the Sabbath. You need to rest. And somehow between the encouragement and my ability to fight back and my relatively organized attempts at Sabbath and rest, I have just turned 60 and I still have not had my first heart attack. I've done better than every male relative that I know. I have the ability to fight back of its defensive use. Let's take a look at this paintbrush. Why in the world would I have a picture of a paintbrush and paint? I do this in almost every message I do. And the reason why is truth like paint is useless unless it's applied. There was a while back where once again my wife and I were interacting, having, you know, intense fellowship about me getting some painting done. Now, I thought that since I went to Home Depot, purchased the paint, got the stirring sticks, got a really nice brush, and even got the little metal key thing to open it up, that I had really done well. But the paint can and the paint sticks and even the little special key just sat in a corner. She wasn't happy until the paint got on the wall. And I think it's the same as we interact with scripture. So let's look at some ways that we can apply this. These are, of course, at the bottom of your notes. So you can bring this home and utilize that. Application number one. Since the scripture is a light, what areas of your life needs the light of God's word most at this time? You may not be able to answer that question now, but I challenge you to take the time to do that. God, where is it that I need the light of your word shined into my life? Where is the darkness or the confusion or the questioning? Where is that most in my life? Or that area in my character that I know isn't really living up to your standards, and I really need to interact with your word. 
because it will encourage me and give me the ability to change. Remember, our faith is not about us trying harder to please God. It's about opening ourselves up to the Spirit of God as he works through his word and through his people so that he can change us and make us more like him. But secondly, in that one, how can you shine the light, the knowledge, the revelation, the good news, the godly wisdom into the lives of others? One of the things that God brought to my attention recently is, in the book of John, Jesus gives us a whole bunch of things that he is. I am the vine, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the light. One of them is, I am the light of the world. And out of all of those seven or eight titles that Jesus identified as himself, once again, using metaphors so we can understand the, un the un understandable in some kind of way, he said, I am the light of the world. And out of all of those, the only one that we share is that one. In Matthew 5, 14, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. We get to walk. I'm not the way. I'm not the truth. I'm not the life. But I am also a light. As he is the great light, we are little lights, shining light upon those whose lives we come into contact. Pray and ask God to give you the opportunity and the ability to recognize the opportunities to shine this great light that we have received into the lives of others. Application number two. Since the scripture is a sword, what areas of your life needs to be pierced by the words catalytic a catalyst is something that you add to a situation. It doesn't change, but it changes everything. What areas of your life need that kind of change? That as the word pierces into you, you will receive that kind of change, although the word will remain the same. And then, is there an area of your life that needs the defensive power of the sword of the spirit Ephesians talks to us about? as the word of God? Is there a lie that you've been believing that the enemy's whispering in your ear over and over? You take it as your own thoughts or you take it as truth, but as you interact with the scripture, it'll be revealed as a lie and you can defend yourself against it. And now our third application. The one we haven't looked at yet is the scripture as a love letter. There's no particular verse for this because it's the message of the entire scripture. One of the things that overwhelms me still about the scripture is any glimpse that it gives me into the love that God has never forget the first time I saw the story of Gomer and, and, and God asking his prophet to marry someone that he knew was going to cheat on him and leave him so that the prophet could then share the experience that God had of his great giving love and receiving absolutely nothing but trouble back from the one that he loved. 
And while at first I rose up in my anger against her, I realized that she was me. And I was overwhelmed by his love. And so as we look at the scripture as a love letter, is your walk with God a response to being infinitely loved? Hurt people hurt people. Abandoned people abandon people. But loved people love people. Is your religion, is your relationship with God built on this foundation of his love? And so if you look at the back page of your notes, there are scriptures for you to meditate on, whether you do that this afternoon, over the next week, over the next month, over your lifetime. Spend some time meditating on the love of God. I used to think at one point in my spiritual life, people just need some more of the wrath of God and they will get their lives straight. But I've come to realize that people need more of the love. It is the love of God, the kindness of God, that calls men to repentance. Romans 2, 4 tells us. That's what's going to change the world. And then secondly, how does your life spread the love of God to others? If the scripture is a love letter, we also are letters. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, you are a letter from Christ. Who is God addressing through your life with this love of his? To whom are you a love letter? Ask God to give you, to reveal to you those in your life that you can share that love with. You can be a channel of that love. But mostly, interact with it. Spend as much time as you can. Never believe anyone that tells you the Old Testament is a God of anger and the New Testament is a God of love. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it's one of the scriptures I gave you. It says, in his love, he will rejoice over you with singing. We sang a song today. Before I even spoke a word, you were singing over me. Think about that. God loves you so much that he is singing songs about you. I can only imagine what his song for me is. But he's singing songs over you. Now, I'm not, I'm not much of a singer, and I'm certainly not a songwriter, but I know the emotion. When you fall in love, you just want to sing. You want to talk about that person. And this is an illustration that the scripture gives us, I, that he is singing over you because the love for you inside of him is just overwhelming. And overflowing. Isaiah 49, 16. I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Wow, God's got a tattoo with my name on it on his hands. But as we go from Old Testament to New Testament, we understand that engraving really was a piercing rather than a tattoo. The Son of God created everything and for whom everything is created, expressed his love 
do I love the, the scripture? I could never answer that in a lifetime. But there are so many reasons to engage it, to interact with it, and to have it interact with you. You will never be the same. Thank you.